The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. It's from Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 12. So now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they, pers- they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right, all right. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you would speak. We pray that as we encounter you in your word, as we encounter your mission, how you started off your public ministry, Lord, that we're able to get a little bit closer to you. We say that's all in your precious name. Amen. So, Jesus comes to earth. And he begins preaching. And what we find is the very first thing he preaches is the Sermon on the Mount and something called the Beatitudes. And he goes through and he starts saying, blessed are the... And he goes through and he starts talking about what a blessing is and what his ministry is going to be like. And yet, when we talk about what blessing means today, there's this wide range of what can fall under blessing. So I went onto Twitter and I looked up hashtag blessed. I just want to read you through some of the highlights. I'm 19 and got a 2018 Camaro. Everything a young gun said he would do. Hashtag blessed. Prayers go up. Blessings come down. Hashtag blessed. I'm incredibly thankful for my parents and how I was raised. Aw. Hashtag blessed. I really got accepted into the Berkeley College of Music. Hashtag blessed. Appreciate the 44,000 followers. Hashtag blessed. This is my favorite one. The haters don't want to see me winning. Hashtag blessed. So I literally read through hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of Twitter responses. And by the time I was done, there was a quote that was rattling around in my mind of what I had just seen. And the quote comes from the Princess Bride. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. If you don't remember where this scene is from, there were some villains who had captured the princess. And they're going, and the leader is so convinced his plan is going to work, and he keeps getting thwarted. And every time he's thwarted, he says, inconceivable. And finally, one of his henchmen looks at him after these things have happened again and again and again, and he says, I do not think that word means what you think it means. And when we talk about what it means to be blessed, I think often we don't know what that word means, certainly in the way how Jesus used it. Jesus starts off his ministry talking about what it truly means to be blessed, And he uses that by going through and using the genre of the wisdom literature of Scripture. So the wisdom literature in Scripture would be your Psalms, your Proverbs, your Ecclesiastes. A lot of very pithy statements that you would look and say, yeah, that is good advice. 
That is common sense. And so I picked out a few just to give you an example of what it would look like. So from Proverbs 10, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Parents in this room would probably be like, yeah, I want my kids to live this out. If you're going to be lazy, you're going to have a harder time in life. But if you're diligent, you'll be able to amass wealth. Makes sense. Whoever heeds discipline shows the way of life, but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. This idea that we need discipline, we need correction, it can be healthy for us. Again, common sense, yeah, that works. What the wicked dread will overtake them, what the righteous desire will be granted. Again, the good guys will get what's coming to them and the bad guys will get what's coming to them. Throughout scripture, the wisdom literature is uh, wisdom that works 99% of the time where you're like, yeah, most of the time if you work hard, it's going to pay off. If you're lazy, it's not going to. And so Jesus uses this genre, he uses this type of speaking to start off his ministry. However, unlike the common sense of the Proverbs or of Ecclesiastes, well, it sounds a little bit different. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I mean, I don't like to be sad. Do you like to be sad? Do you like to be heartbroken? I learned a lot of blessings on Twitter, and none of them said, woke up feeling like crap, hashtag blessed. (laughs) Right? Blessed are those who mourn? Yeah, forget that. I don't like being hurt. I don't like having to mourn death or illness or pain. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. How many of you have heard of spiritual gifts and someone raised their hand and said, I want to be a spiritual martyr. That's what I want my spiritual gift to be. Beat me up for Jesus. Right? It doesn't make sense. How he starts off his ministry doesn't work by our American version of what a blessing is. And yet, we find that how he starts off his ministry is the framework, is the outlook that helps us understand everything else Jesus does, all the miracles he works, all the lives he changes, all the teaching he gives, all the way to the cross and to the empty tomb and to the mission of the church, all is found through the framework of what it means to be blessed in the kingdom of heaven. What is God up to? What is he doing? And that comes through this idea, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus talks a ton about this concept of the kingdom of heaven. And we as a church have been talking through that when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, he's not saying, blessed are those who are poor in spirit because they'll be comforted when they die. Heaven is not just some future reality. Now, the best definition for heaven in Greek would be the reign of God to be under God's rule, or to put it another way, the world operating God intended. That's what the kingdom of heaven means. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're literally praying, God, we want this world to operate like it is where you live, where it is when you are in control. So really, we could translate, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is going to be how God's kingdom, his world, is going to operate the way it intended. And we see this throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, that God's heart breaks when things don't work the way they're supposed to. So in Exodus, 
The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of the slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Right? He's poor in spirit. He's heartbroken because his people have been in bondage. For 400 years, they have suffered as slaves. And God sees, he looks down, and his heart breaks for his people. He says, I am concerned about them. And then he acts. Scripture goes on to tell us that, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a land and good and spacious, a land flowing with milk and honey. For you realtors out there, that means low property taxes and a good school system, right? Lots of jobs. God says, I'm going to take care of my people. I want to provide for my people. My heart breaks for them, but I'm going to lean into the situation. I'm going to change this situation. And throughout the, all the Old Testament, again and again, you hear God rescuing his people, that his heart breaks for them. We see this in the book of Judges. We see this when his people get called into exile. And God says, I have heard their distress. I am poor in spirit, and so I will act. I will move. I will bring this world to operate the way I intended it to again. And this leads into the story of Jesus, right? God looks down at a world that is fractured, that is broken, that is at each other's uh, uh, face. That's not the word. Anyway, hurting people are hurting people. And he says, enough is enough. I'm going to send my son, and he is going to redeem this world. And yet what we see is he doesn't do it the way we would think he would. He doesn't come for the super religious, the super good. One of my favorite stories in this uh, comes from Luke 19. So Jesus enters Jericho as he was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. All right, so I want to just stop right here. Tax collectors in ancient times worked for Rome. Rome was an occupying country of Israel. It would essentially be like if Canada came across the border, took over America, and now Canada is control of all of our people. We can't do anything without their permission. And Rome would then tax these occupied nations, and they put these huge taxes on them. But what Rome found was, instead of sending in a Roman to collect the taxes, who didn't know where the money was, who didn't know which families had it, they would raise up personal tax collectors within the country. And they would work with the Romans to tax their own people. And they had a set tax they needed to claim for Rome, but then they got their income by taking more money. And they could take as much as they wanted as long as Rome got their share. And so they would go and they would knock on your door and they would say, you owe X amount of taxes. And if you said, I'm not going to pay it, they would say, well, okay, I've got Roman guards behind me. And those guards were allowed to beat, enslave, imprison, or even kill the people who wouldn't pay the taxes that the tax collector said you have to pay. Tax collectors were despised because they were working with the enemy. They were profiting from the enemy. And this isn't just a regular tax collector. No, Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. He is the worst of the worst. He is broken. He is not operating the way that God intended him to operate. And he, Zacchaeus, was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on the account of the crowd, he could not because he was a small man. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and saw him. Zacchaeus, he said, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. 
So he hurried and came down and received Jesus joyfully. And when they, the crowd, saw him, they grumbled, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, the Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. All of us find our story in Zacchaeus, right? All of us have gone astray. All of us don't operate the way God intended. And God, in his own right, could have been like, I'm done with you. He could have been like, you broke the world. You fix it. And yet what we find in Scripture is a God who is poor in spirit for a broken world, and he wants to bring it back to the way that God intended it to be. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. And we see this in Jesus' ministry. It comes from Matthew 9. Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Right? We see Jesus poor in spirit. He goes into a community and he sees that it's broken. He sees families that are broken. He sees individuals that are broken. And his heart breaks. Now this is amazing. He prays. He has an answer to the solution. What is his answer? Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. God is poor in spirit for a broken world. And what is his solution? What is his prayer? He literally prays for you. Or, more appropriately, he prays for us, the church. We are the answer to God's prayer. God could have said, I'm just going to keep coming in and fixing it again and again and again and again. But instead, what he says is, I want my church, I want my family to participate in this new kingdom with me. I want them to be a part of God's kingdom coming to earth just as it is in heaven. He says, I want to create a movement that will literally change the world. That will leave every situation, every person, every community, every family better because my children showed up. And as Christians, often our heart can break for the world. We can realize this isn't right, but then we start falling into the world's traps. We start trying to use the world's tools to fix the problem. And certainly in Jesus' day, they were doing the exact same thing. You had the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were the super religious, and they believed that if they could just convince that everyone else was wrong and that they were right, God would bless them again. God would take care of them again. And so they spent their entire time trying to convince everyone else, you're wrong, we're right. And as Christians, we can, we can get into that mindset, right? We just have to convince everyone that they're wrong. So they realize that we're right, that we're good, and then it'll be okay. 
And yet Jesus goes to the Pharisees and goes, you guys are missing the point. It's not about being right. It's about learning to love like I love. It's about standing on his truth, turning the other cheek, not seven times, but 77 times seven times. There were others in Jesus' time, the Sadducees, who were like, you know what? No, it's not about being right. We've already lost. We're going to water down what we believe. We're going to partner with the world, partner with the Romans. This is the best we get now. And as Christians, we can do that sometimes. We can be like, you know what? Scripture, God, let's just water it down. Let's just back off. Let's just partner with the world. And Jesus comes to the Sadducees and he goes, no. God is real. God is moving. God has a plan. I want you to stand on my truth, Jesus says, because the world's truth, it's like sinking sand. And when the storm comes, it's not going to stabilize you. He goes, but my foundation is like building on the rock. Right? We sing about the rock of ages. Some wanted to win. Some wanted to water down. And some, the zealots, well, they wanted to take back their country. They had the, they had the plan. We just need to take back our country. We've got to kick the Romans out. We've got to be in control again. We've got to be in power again. And then God will love us. And then we'll be blessed. And then it will be okay. And Jesus had that option. Throughout Scripture, there were multiple times where people said, we will make you our king. We will go to war for you. Jesus said, I've got the host of angels. He could have taken back his country literally. And yet that wasn't how Jesus and his kingdom would come. No, he doesn't come using the world's tools. He has his own framework, his own way of life. And long after the Pharisees had died out, long after the Sadducees had died out, long after the Zealots had died out, Jesus' mission, his kingdom, still advances today. Because at the end of the day, we don't play by the world's rules. We play by heaven's rules. And heaven says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. It says things like, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. And so throughout the series, we are going to go through and we're going to look at what are the tools of the kingdom of heaven? What does it look like to be blessed in the kingdom of heaven? I was wrestling through what this looked like, and N.T. Wright is a theologian who spent a lot of time on the kingdom of heaven, and he writes this about the Beatitudes. He says, when God wants to change the world, he doesn't send in the tanks. He sends in the meek, the mourners, those who hunger and thirst for God's justice. The, spirit, the poor in spirit will be making the kingdom of heaven happen. The meek will be taking over the earth so gently that the powerful won't even notice until it's too late. The peacemakers will be putting the arms manufacturers out of business. In the Beatitudes, Jesus was inviting his hearers then and now to join him in making this happen. This is, quite simply, what it looks like when Jesus is enthroned. Every week we confess that Jesus is Lord. Every week we confess that we, as broken, sinful people, need him. And part of his lordship 
is what it looks like for God to reign, for God to bring a world back into the way it was originally intended to operate. And what I am so excited about what God is doing in North Austin is we get to participate in that. We, as his children, get to be co-workers of God, ambassadors of his grace and his love. And in the same way that he left every situation better because Jesus shows up, we get to leave every situation better. Whether it's a service uh, weekend on a Saturday or a partnership with Baghdad or with loving our neighbors or loving each other as a church, God is bringing us together and he is bringing his kingdom his reign, his world into harmony the way he intended it to, and he uses us, his children, to be a part of that. I am so excited where God is taking us. But we just want to be careful that we are playing by his rules, not by the world's rules, by his love, by his power, by his spirit. Would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you thankful for a God who shows up, thankful for a God who, when we are like Zacchaeus and we are part of the broken world, you didn't leave us to our lonesome. You didn't cut us off from community, but instead, Lord, you leaned into the situation. You sought us out like the one sheep that had wandered away. But Lord, you don't just keep us, us and you. Lord, you bring us back to the flock. You bring us back to community. You bring us back to the church. And then together, you send us out because, Lord, you said that the harvest is plentiful. So, Father, Lord, we thank you for being called to be workers in that harvest field. Lord, we pray for those harvesters that aren't here yet. Lord, we pray for the harvesters in other churches, from other cultures, from other languages. Lord, we pray that your spirit come. Lord, that it leaves us changed and that as we leave, we leave the world changed. We say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.